Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm writer and journalist, Jared Hill. And I am journalist and editor and all of the things, Travel Anderson. Coming up on the show this week, you've seen the title, you've seen the tweets and all of that. Hashtag Black. I was about to say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> wow. Hashtag Black History Month. We're going to get into the complex and complicado around it. But first, it's time for Pass the Popcorn. Uh, now, normally, you know, in this section, we would wax poetic about some foolishness y'all are talking about in the social media streets. But this week, we wanted to stop down and celebrate a milestone of our own for the pod. As you listen to us, we have officially hit our one year anniversary of giving y'all this good, good every single week. Yes, we did. Um, And maybe you've seen our new logo already in your podcast feed. It should have popped up there. If you haven't, go to our social media pages at FantiPadCast, okay? On the Instagram and on the Twitter. What? I I always (laughs) think to myself at the end when you say FantiMaximumFun.org, I'm like, someone is typing in .urg. I just know they are. Well, I, they I need to do it. better. They need to do better because it's probably a white person. Y'all need to do better. It's Black History Month. Wow. Okay? Today and every day. Anyway, <laughs> if you go to our social pages, you'll see a lot of the new content that we've come up with. New logo. We did some videos. We did a whole photo shoot. All of that. To the photo shoot that Ashley did for us, Ashley Wynn did a beautiful job of designing like a whole rebrand campaign for us. Um, and the photos that you see, the graphics, the videos, all kinds of things that you'll be seeing um, that be rolling out over the next you know weeks and months uh for this year for us uh ashley did such a fantastic job we got like first looks at all this stuff you guys might have seen us on instagram saying like oh we're doing this shoot kind of thing um and like ashley had photos back to us within hours that evening and i took everything and made to not like post some kind of sneak i was asking travel and ashley like well can i just post this and ashley was like no, no you uh-uh. can't and I was like, but it looks so... So shout out to Ashley and her entire fantastic team who really like delivered for us. Like we're so appreciative um, and we'll we'll make sure to be shouting them out uh, as the new things kind of roll out. So yes, we will, but, we will tag them on all of the things. Uh, but Jared, how does it feel for you to, to co-parent a one-year-old with me? Um, it is the nightmare that that sounds like. Um, wow. I, I, <laughs> Um, it's very cool. I mean, we've been working on this for, you know, we worked on this for months before we launched it. And so for it to be a year old now, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's been quite a fucking year also. Um, I, I think neither neither one of us could have anticipated what this would be like, uh, this past year would be like. But it's been pretty interesting having done the show from home all year, essentially now. And... Uh, I don't know. It's it's been it's been really really fun to kind of watch it grow and um, see the ways that people have responded to it. Um, I do remember having like a little bit of a panic right before we started, thinking like, you know, we kind of planned for like ten or fifteen ideas of shows. I hope that there's you know a, a years a season's worth of shows every year. And so now to be you know fifty some odd shows in and uh, you know to have a, a full slate of things that we're doing next, that's exciting. Well, that's why you got to keep me around, okay? Because everything that I touch turns to gold, honey, all right? I don't know you really failure. You have to work on your self-esteem, sweetie. We, Whatever. We in, the, gotta... 
In the words of the one and only Blue Ivy Carter. Oh, God. She said, I ain't never seen a ceiling in my whole life, okay? Same. What's a ceiling, okay? What's wow. a limit? Wow. Wow. Limit less, okay, honey? Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, I what is, say, what is, I, how does it feel for you being the year in? Yeah, I would echo the same thing. You know, it's been weird uh, recording it initially from my closet. Now I'm doing it from my office um, and and becoming our own, you know, tinkerers with the microphone and all that type of stuff. But, you know, um, it's been cute and always glad to see the, the reception and the growing audience and all that good stuff. Um, it's been tiring. Uh, I feel like, because we, unlike other podcasts, we don't just show up and shoot the shit. I mean, we shoot the shit, right? But we actually have, like, uh, a script that we loosely follow right. and, like, all these other things. And so, like, we actually put some some work behind this. And I think that that, uh, that doing all of that in addition to the the tinkering of the recording and all of that um and i because i know our, our audio been in and out i know people been hitting microphones shout out to dr joy dr joy degrew who was snacking throughout her entire Listen, interview she said i'm hungry <laughs> and i'm not worried about you people okay and i appreciate um, yeah, it good. i felt the same way season, season um, one also, has been good i also want to note that like we started this show in the studio at max fun uh, in downtown la we then moved to our, our personal homes to do the show from my dining table and from your closet. And now we are both in our respective offices, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, a transition, to, if you will. Listen, right. You've moved to a new place. Um, I had a roommate here for about a year-ish, a little bit more than a year. And uh, he's moved out. And so now I have the second room as an office again. So... Yeah, we've had some transitions happen in our lives. Y'all make sure y'all go to the social media pages uh, uh, and check out this week's video. Uh, Jared edited it, FYI, but he's got this new setup. Y'all are looking real, real professional, so y'all got to check that out. But before we wrap up this I segment, thought you were going to read me for the fireplace on the TV. It's um, cute. I, I, I was emotionally prepared for, for an attack. Um, so, sorry, it was a trauma response. Go on. <laughs> It's cute. But before we wrap up this past the popcorn, last week's show, I did a little call out for, uh, I did a little call out for some of the listeners, some of the Fantai fam to send in voice memos um, to help us celebrate our one year anniversary. And so we're going to take a listen to some of those clips and respond to them. Hi, Jarrett and Travel. My name is Alistair, and I'm trans non-binary. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm hooked on Fanti. Your insightful and impactful discussions and guests and your Fanti friendship and exchanges keep me coming back to your show again and again. And Travel, in a recent episode, you mentioned feeling like all the women sometimes, and I totally get that. Sometimes I feel like all the men. The confidence you exude has been a touchstone of normalization for me as I practice living and loving my true self. Thank you both for Fanti. I'm really looking forward to your upcoming episodes and great big thanks to your producers for putting up with you too. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so sweet. Oh. I love when 
I when they did like the data on our show about our audience, we have an outsized uh, piece of the audience that is uh, does not identify with a specific gender in the polling. And so uh, I'm sure that that has everything to do with you and your existence here and your uh, your you know, your pride in who you are and celebrating who you are. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And I think that, um, you know, I don't like to give you compliments, so I don't want you to take it as one. But I think it is really, really fantastic for listeners to be able to hear you and identify with you or hear you and learn something different, um, learn something from you that they may not have gotten from somewhere else. So that's really, really fantastic. I'm sitting here tearing up and you just gonna jab me. You just couldn't keep it cute. You just couldn't keep it all nice. You just... Have we met? <laughs> like, why would I do that? Anyway, thank you, Alistair, for that Uh that's amazing. I'm I'm glad I'm glad they're getting something from 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 the show and from and from me. Let's listen to the next one. Hello, it's your girl, Legal Sojourner, aka Sheena, lawyer and erotica writer extraordinaire. You know I couldn't pass up the opportunity to let all of you know how much I love the show for your one year anniversary. Happy anniversary, Travell, Jarrett, Jordan, and Laura. Thank you so much for making this show and continuing to make it through a Ponderosa. We've had so much grief and loss last year and this year, 2020, the sequel. I can't tell you how many times I've been feeling down and I've turned on the podcast and it's immediately lifted my spirits. One of my favorite things about the show is the witty banter between Travell and Jarrett. I love it. I love the shade. Mostly because I know that's how the two of you express your love for each other. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for you. Hopefully it's merchandise, Jarrett. And I will continue to listen to the show and recommend it to everyone that I know. Love you all. Bye. Um, So much to address there. First of all, I don't <laughs> know why you guys have the impression that we love each other because we don't. Um, but... Also, never heard Sheena slash Monique's voice. Um, Monique is her 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 pen her name, pen right? Pen name, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I have the the right ones. Yes, Sheena is her real name. Um, never heard your voice before, so that was kind of cool to get to hear something from you. Um, what? I also love that we we've referenced her as Legal Sojourner so many times, which is her her Twitter handle, and so right. she just started out from the beginning. She was Legal Sojourner, honey. Legal, you know, you know what it is, you know what time it is. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love, um, and I also that's love fantastic. the way I, I do. One thing that she said that stuck out to me, uh, unfortunately, is uh, that twenty twenty one is twenty twenty the sequel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and I was thinking to myself like. I don't know if 2020, the sequel being better than 2020, like, you know, Sister Act 2 or Home Alone 2, I don't know what that means for us. So I don't know what I'm rooting for. But 2020, the sequel sounds horrifying. Thank you, Sheena, for giving us a call. And then we've got one last voice memo from one of my besties. I like voice memos on the show. Congratulations, Fantae, for one year of the best podcast there is. I love the shade, the points of view, the comedy, the language of it all. It is so entertaining. Always keeps me on my toes. Feel like I'm in conversation with my best friends. Cannot wait for more. Um, I would like less Jarrett next year. Just joking. Love you all. Keep doing your thing. Congratulations on one year. Yes, Bianca. You can always tell where the family is. Like when, <laughs> right? when a familiar 
face comes to town. Uh, Bianca, thanks for writing it. We're sending us a voice note. I feel like we should do this more often. I, like I think we should. People's voices. And I just want to let people know that's the same Bianca whose wedding I told y'all about, you know, I think like three months ago. Um, and she called in with with uh, the the bit about her her COVID safe wedding. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, but Bianca's amazing. She's lovely. She went to Spelman. Actually, I met her while she was at Spelman, oh. and I was at Morehouse to throw back to nice. our HBCU episode last week right. or week before I would last. Say, whenever it I was. would say that um, in the future, if folks want to send in a voice note instead of a, an email, maybe we can do that as well because I like hearing other voices on the show. That was really definitely cool. Fanti at yeah. maximumfun dot erg. Uh, <laughs> okay. I... <laughs> when we come back, we give some flowers to Cardi G. Wills. Oh, Go, you read it, Jesus. I wow, can't the erasure of blackness. When we come back, <laughs> we give some flowers to Cardi G. Woodson and we disrupt Black History Month as you've always known it. Or maybe we won't. Who knows? We'll see. Fantastic coming right back. I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, we've got the one and only Ted Danson. We'll talk about his new show, Mr. Mayor, about Cheers and about the secret to success in comedy. I mean, I, I feel like one of your signature comedic moves at this point uh, in your career is gazing. Uh, you do a lot of interesting gazing. <laughs> I also love this. Gazing, I love that. And if I'm not, I'm gonna start, because that's great. That's Bullseye. Find it on MaximumFun.org, NPR.org, and wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Fanti. It's the first week of the most popular month for black people to get asked questions about black shit by white people, also known as Black History Month. That's right, white people. It's June 2020 all over again. So this week's <laughs> conversation, we're diving into the complex and complicado about Cardi G. Woodson's cursy gift to the world. While we don't necessarily love it the way we maybe used to, it's still a significant contribution to the culture and has had an impact over the years. That's been pretty great. Yeah, so let's do a quick little history lesson um, for those who don't know, white and black and everybody else in between. So Black History Month began as Negro History Week in 1926. The idea was to create a coordinated effort in public schools nationwide to teach black history. Carter G. Woodson is the man who came up with it all and he felt that, quote, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor 
in the thought of the world and it stands in danger of being exterminated. Though initially not widely accepted, by 1970 at the proposal of black educators and students at Kent State University, the week was expanded into Black History Month as we know it today. And six years after that, the yearly celebration was officially endorsed by one of y'all's nasty presidents, President Gerald Ford, okay? What's resulted in the decades since, it's supposed to be an opportunity for white people and their institutions to redress their perpetual erasure of the roles of black folks in building this country on our backs and for black people and our institutions to honor an undaunted and ever persisting ancestry. Um, what we've been given, however, is you know often a rote acknowledgement of the same five people, Rosa, Martin, George Washington Carver, <laughs> that's the one who did the peanuts, uh, Madam C.J. Walker, Malcolm X, and you know, maybe there's a couple others that we throw in there. Um, but you know, that's that's what we've got. And so we're gonna delve into our thoughts, our feelings, our concerns about Black History Month. One of the interesting things that we noted when producing this particular episode was all of the things that we were listing as fan were also related to the things that we were listing as anti. So we're actually gonna take each of the points and talk about why we love them and why we hate them. Um, I would say the very first thing that I love about Black History Month is there's a focus on Black excellence just everywhere that you look. And it's like, it's pretty overt everywhere. It's like, look at this cool Black person. Look at this smart Black person. Look at, you know, this excellent Black person. And it's nice to, I feel like every year there is someone that I've heard of for the first time like there's mm -hmm. a new person that they're that they're touting out because everyone is trying to find ways to not just talk about you know martin luther king um and i think that it's it's kind of cool to see the innovative ways that people try to celebrate in a different way um and i think that's you know always a, a, a good thing for people to try and figure out how they can celebrate black people um, and I also think it's always a good time for black businesses. <laughs> like I think black mm. businesses as a whole, um, small business or large businesses or, you know, businesses like Fanti, which is a black business. Um, I would say <laughs> um, it's always a good time for black businesses as well. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, well, like you said, it's a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, I think, Black History Month often gives Black folks in particular that license to to be Black, right? If you if you want to wear your hair in an afro for Black History Month, I feel like you have a, a greater ability to do so in various spaces. If you want to, you know, get you some faux locks in, I think it gives you that license. Um, if you want to go around wearing your dashiki every day, you know, acting like you from Wakanda, you could do that too. And I feel like white people... Um, I don't want to say they, they have to give you a pass, but like, I feel like the, 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 the broader systems, right. That are at play, make it kind of more acceptable. And so I love just seeing that unbridled, unapologetic, um, blackness that, that often pops up during this month, particularly in spaces where I think people sometimes feel as if they can't be, you know, that type of black quote unquote. I will also say that like of all of those things that we've kind of talked about, all of those things get on my goddamn nerves too. Like everywhere Period. you look, it is some kind of black something, somebody's black mama, somebody's aunt. It's like, okay, goddamn, we get it. Like it can be a little bit exhausting. And I think like, part of that, right? Part of that reason though, we should say, I think is because of the 
kind of the hyper focus on on blackness specifically in this 28 days that can be a lot it reminds me of pride month right when when everybody's 100%. doing their rainbow flags or you know everyone has their uh uh the, the the they stamp a rainbow on whatever merch that they already got just to get the homosexuals to buy it it reminds me of that in terms of just like it's just it's just too much and like i think we all prefer right that your acknowledgement of black folks your acknowledgement of black history you know is a 365 enterprise right shout out to uh was it mcdonald's they got black 365 was that mcdonald's yeah. mm -hmm. okay crispy yeah. chicken fresh lettuce that's three burger cheeses king. i know that's burger king um <laughs> i <laughs> i am um, but one of the other things that's interesting to me about this is that i I feel like the same way that we were kind of talking about in, you know, June of last year, how all of these companies have, you know, new policies that they roll out, new messaging and graphics and people and all kinds of different shit. Like, it also kind of feels performative, too, right? Like, yes, Very you have so. all of these things that are so important to you as a company, as a brand, as a whatever, but like... You still don't have no black people working here. You still don't treat black people fairly. You don't promote black people. You don't hire black people based on, you don't bring them in for the, based on their names. Like you have fucked up policies about hair. Like, you know what I mean? But like, but you want to celebrate black history month. So it's like, yes, you guys can find every black person that works here and try and celebrate them. But like, also you kind of treat them like shit still. Um, in a lot of instances. Right. You don't have to wait until fucking February to to care about black people, right? And you also and you don't, don't have, have to stop outside of February. <laughs> period. Right. And you also don't have yes. to wait until there's a racial reckoning, right? In order to 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 be comfortable saying Black Lives Matter or or whatever the case may be. Um I, I will say I do remember that back in the day, like back in elementary school, middle school, even high school to an extent, you know. I did not learn about like whatever black historical figure until Black History Month. And I think that's that's another double-edged sword because obviously it was great to to know and learn about these folks, but it wasn't like carried out through the curriculum all year, right? It would literally be literally be, you know, either via some sort of student government program in school or the history teacher would, you know, hyper focus on on, you know, a particular, you know, the handful of people like we mentioned earlier. Um and so that's always been something that's been iffy for me about this month um in particular just because our education system um as a whole is just trash when it comes to expressing the the expressing and recognizing right the vastness of the black experience as well as like sure. what we have contributed to this trash ass country what i also am thinking about is yesterday in our production meeting uh someone who works on this show that's not you or i or laura <laughs> uh, was telling us about a college experience that um they had i'm I'm not saying Jordan's name, so I just want to be clear about that. Um, <laughs> that Eddie. They had a, that they had a Black History. Uh, she says, "Who could it be?" Um, that they had a, a Black History class that they were taking, an African American Studies class, and they, like to go to a predominantly white institution and then you know see like a small percentage of the students are Black, but then to go into the African American Studies class and see, oh, this is where all the Black people are, right? And then there's one white person in the class, as uh, she told us. Um, and like that one person 
found themselves offended by having to take this class or something like that and dropped it. It was just like, it's frustrating the ways that our schools um, have addressed black history throughout the years. And like, it makes me think about being in high school and realizing we did all this study on Egypt, but like the map always cut out like the rest of Africa and just showed the Middle East. And like how oh, yes. it talked about how beautiful Egypt was, how great it was, but like never talked about it in context of Africa, only talked about it in context of the Middle East. And like I get on some level, like it is a it is seen as a Middle Eastern country for a lot of people, but like that did not happen by accident. Right? Like right. Egypt is a part of Africa and you know, it is it is discussed as a part of the Middle East, uh, which is is just an interesting dynamic to me. And one thing we haven't mentioned yet, right, is, um, I think we mentioned in the past episodes about, or, or you mentioned it, right, about uh, this past June in particular and how, you know, everybody, particularly for us as writers, was like interested in our voices and, right, you know, and tapping mm-hmm. us and commissioning us for different pieces. That's a sim- another similar thing that I think happens for Black History Month. I think Black writers, critics, reporters, et cetera, get a lot of opportunities different creatives get a lot of opportunities for Black History Month, but it doesn't it doesn't continue. And so for me, like I love a month like Black History Month because it 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 it, it lets you be where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside. But also Maybe. You be tied after you be in the way to Honey, the money right. <laughs> it's like I'm wore out. Like goddamn every panel, like <laughs> what like could you call me in march maybe or what about august what i'm still about... here in september <laughs> yes it doesn't it, the problem in the problem is right that it, it's again as you mentioned one of those examples of like black history month kind of being i don't know if this makes sense but like, kind of being like commercialized or like corporatized right um in terms of of the ways in which these these efforts to show some sort of solidarity or some sort of honoring of the black community uh uh it just it just all always fall falls on on i don't want to say deaf ears um it, it always it, it don't be hitting okay <laughs> it's what yeah. it, it, it just don't be hitting i was trying to get love, you know a nice little idiom or something it didn't work out I was going to say, I love that you are a writer and finds like all of the best ways to write different things. And I'd be like, girl, it just don't be hitting. Like, <laughs> period. <laughs> I love that. But I love that. we should say any black creator that is out here, these types of months where these companies, you know, are putting more effort and more focus on us, you need to be raising your rates. You need to yes. be adding a black tax, okay, to your rate because you deserve, okay? You do. You do, beloved. You get your money. Um, I, yeah, it's a, it's a great time to be able to, you know, boost your rate a little bit and, and like, keep it there, right? Like, Period. This is the month where, like, oh, everybody wants to have Black History Month programming. Like, okay, well, this is actually a little bit more expensive. And I think you should keep your, your rate up there after this month is over. It's a great way to, to be able to do an annual increase for yourself. So I wrote a story at Out Magazine when I was there before they fired me. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> um, I wrote a story there. I think this would have been back in 2019. Um, for Black History Month. And the headline is, we'll link it in the show notes and stuff like that. It's called Black History Month Includes Black Queer History Too. Um, and when I was writing that piece, it was the first time that I actually realized, right, the failures of my kind of 
primary, middle school, high school education. Like I, I write in the piece that I, it, it wasn't until I was at Morehouse that I began to realize how much black history I did not know. And even more so how much of that black history, which is also American history, is also queer history. Yeah. Right. Um. And the 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 betrayal. I've been I've been doing a lot of thinking. You know, I'm allegedly writing this book. Um. And I've been doing a lot of thinking <laughs> about the ways in which we we don't know what possibilities lie ahead for us because the histories of our like you know direct community ancestors um have been erased. You know. Um. Or ignored. Um. Or they've been you know misrepresented in a variety of ways. Um. And so for me, I think Black History Month. For- I think I've always just wanted to, to to also kind of, you know, stand on a mountain and be like, bitch, okay, yes, we want to celebrate, you know, Martin and Malcolm and Rose and them, but like Baldwin's right there. And yeah. uh and I know Bayard Rustin has become, I think, the the latest, you know, girl that they they trot out. Um, but there's just like a long history of of folks that, you know, we just need more to hear more about beyond the Laverne Coxes and the Janet Mox and, you know, the the current, you know, folks who are making history right now. Yes, let's recognize them, let's put them on platforms and stuff like that. But what about the people who paved the way for them? Right? I just want I just want the video of you getting climbing up to the mountaintop to to make this announcement. But it was it metaphorical, with, sis. No, no, no. But you have to get on the mountaintop, and then it has to start off with "bitch." Okay, now listen. <laughs> like it has to start that way. I just need that. Um, I, what I think is also really interesting about when when we think about the queer element of Black History Month and Black history in general and American history is that Black queer folks tend to be leading these movements so often they tend to be in the forefront of the arts they tend to be like doing a lot of the things that tend to be very visible maybe it's because we're some loud queens i don't know but like it's probably just interesting to me to see the ways that black queer people move the culture in a way that is unique and specific from the way that black folks in general move the culture but like we move black culture and in, in in very important special ways exactly yeah, yeah. okay but the, but and again Th- that type of role of our community is often downplayed or all you know or outright I- ignored or erased um i remember i think uh, when i first got on instagram or maybe not um, i think when i first got on instagram which would have been like you know five years ago six years ago something like that um mm-hmm. i i started doing this thing during black history month was i, w- I would post you know, a black queer person in history mm-hmm. in, in particular as a means of, of hyper-focusing on that. Um, and, you know, I don't do it no more, as you can obviously tell. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I do think it is important that we figure out ways to inject queer history into these conversations about black history because, well, because I'm here, bitch. Yeah, and I mean, I think <laughs> also as people who we're part of the national association of black journalists which also i want to point out like there's a lot of black queer leadership within the national association of black journalists right um that i i feel like we see 
uh, in chapter leadership, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to kind of note like black queer person leading there, black queer person leading there. And it's and like we have our own unique history that I know that you've been uh, chronicling with the uh, LGBTQ task force to look at the queer history of uh, NABJ. So it's an interesting an interesting uh, element of it. I did want to bring up before we before we wrap this up. I've seen a lot of commentary, particularly this year on social media, about folks doing the whole, you know, celebrate Black history every day or I'm Black every day, you know, forget Black History Month or whatever. Um, And so I've, I've seen that side of the commentary and then the other side, which is like, okay... Yeah, but Black History Month, you know, still means something in a lot of communities, still means something for a lot of folks, right, who don't have that ability, right, to to do the unapologetic thing every every day. I wanted to ask you, like, where do you fall? I mean, we've been talking about both sides, but, like, do you hate Black History Month? Like, do, do or, or, like... <laughs> Um, I don't hate Black History Month. I just don't prioritize it, I guess. Like, it's not something that is, um, is hyper important to me or like has a, has a a high level of significance to me. But also like, I also know that there tends to be a lot more work to do in February because of Black History Month. Um, and that there tends to be a, an influx of interest in what we have to say, how we want to do, you know, those kinds of different things. Um, so I, I have a great respect for it. I just don't like love it and, and have like this, this reverence for it that I think, um, you know, some of our, our more veteran members, if I'm thinking about NABJ or some of our, you know, older family members and things like that have more of a special attachment to it because, you know, there was a time when it, it felt like maybe all that there was. Right. And so, um, as far as honoring certain black folks, so I, I yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not. What about you? I don't know. Um, but I wanted oh. to read out uh, this uh, tweet from Kimberly Foster, who's over for Harriet, um, that I think kind of captures how I feel. Um, she said, I don't like y'all low-key shitting on Black History Month with, quote, I celebrate us every month. Feels very performative. This is a special time and it's institutionalization. Uh, yeah, institutionalization took a lot of work from generations of Black people. Put some respect on it. I, I, I think I feel that way. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think she holds the 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 complexity in the comment, but also willing to recognize that, like, you know, this is something that was very necessary uh, at the time, right, in which it was founded. And I would venture to say still necessary because them motherfuckers back in South Carolina, you know, still recycling Ma and Malcolm and Rosa, Okay, they ain't talking mm. about Sylvester. They're not talking about Glenn Burke. They're not talking about Moms Mabley. Okay, let alone the Laverne Coxes and stuff of the world, right? And so, you know, I hate this month, but also keep it going. As we're talking about, you you were mentioning the Black queer history, uh, uh, and as we go though, it makes me think about Darian Aaron, who uh, has run a blog for a long time and then he stopped and then brought it back. Uh, who always chronicled uh like important black queer folks and important black queer moments uh the he used to have like a blog and then it was a website and um it was living out loud with darian and like i just always appreciate those kinds of folks who have always been dedicated to uh telling our story so shout out to everyone out there that's been doing that kind of work over the years as we go to break pull up your social media of choice and answer this question for us 
what is your experience of learning black history either this month <laughs> throughout uh, your life <laughs> or otherwise um, as we we're talking about college and high school and other, the different places that we kind of learn about black history tweet or post using fans high fam the hashtag uh, we'll be jumping in responding to your posts on Twitter and Instagram from at Fantai Podcast and our personal accounts. Coming up, why y'all hate us so much and listener feedback, and we'll get into our dishonorable mentions. We'll be right back. This week's episode of Fantai is brought to you in part by Raycon. Whether you're an avid news watcher or seriously in need of a distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. Give your eyes a break from your screens and get content you crave with Raycon wireless earbuds. No dangling wires or stems getting in your way here with Raycons. They come in a range of stylish colors, but they're always with a comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. I tend to like the Raycons when I have to like go out for exercise, if I have to go out and I'm listening to music or a book exercise. or a pod or something like that. Well, you know, I didn't say it happens often, but like, calm down, okay? I don't know her, honey. Raycons are built with water and sweat-resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly and with enough battery life for six hours. The best part, Raycon makes great sound accessible for everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon is offering 15% off all of their products for our listeners. And here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Fanti. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon, B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Fanti. Buyraycon.com slash Fanti. Alrighty, beautiful people, we're going to get into our listener feedback segment. Um, I'm first going to read out an email that we got from Katie. Um, and this is directed at you, Jared, so pay attention. Um, oh Katie says, this is really an email for Jared, though I think you, you're both amazing and I love your show dearly. Thank you for being so open about your mental, mental health struggles. It is really hard oh, and alienating. Positive. Yes. It you is said really, it was for me, and I got I got really defensive right away. So Lord, sorry. your trauma jumping out, sis. <laughs> Hold it together. Listen, listen. It is really hard and alienating to engage with media that acknowledges the pandemic while ignoring the toll it's taking on us, especially those of us with the depression or other mental illnesses. I also wanted to speak to what you said about almost taking this week off. That would have been last week's episode um, because it really made me think about ways I've been coping slash not coping during the Panda Express. Taking time off to heal and be responsive to your capacity in that moment would not have been a defeat of some kind. You deserve space to just be depressed mental illness isn't only acceptable if it causes no logistical issues for anyone else also you've built an amazing show and it wouldn't all crumble away if Travell took an episode on by themselves um i appreciate that katie um i uh, i i told you all last week that i was dealing with some depression that was really severe last week and um debating whether or not i was going to do last week's show or take the week but i I what I ended up doing that I didn't say on the air was I did scratch everything else off of my calendar that day and move it to, you know, other days when I could get to them. But I ended up still doing the show because I still do find the show to be a pick me up and uh, it's it's good for me to to do it. And so 
I think if I had canceled the show, then I would have also had to deal with the guilt of, oh, I canceled the show. What are we going to do? And Jordan's going to have to pull another episode. And now we have to move the con. Like, I would have dealt with that, which, you know, is part of of that. But, like, um, I, the show tends to be a pick-me-up. So it's the reason that I did the show. But I did definitely take the rest of that day off. Um, it was It was a difficult day. Well, let me just say that, you know, if you ever need to take a week off, I will, I will grab the reins, okay? And I will make sure that it don't, <laughs> that, that it don't go off the tracks, okay? I will, I will make sure that we never have to do that to our listener. <laughs> um, but well, but I got thank a couple you so much ideas. for that letter, Katie. I got a couple ideas in my head that I think I would be good. You know, I would bring somebody else in, you know, to, to help mm-hmm. me, you know, but mm-hmm. you know. Whatever you need, we here to support you, sis, okay? It's a slippery slope, bitch. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got another email here from Solen. Um, uh, Or is it Solene? I think it's Solene. I forgot. I remember we had this name before. Yes, we did. We we she uh they emailed us before. Um I hope I got that right, Solen. Um so as you so say it wrong. says that they just listened to our last episode. Uh, oh, this is the episode on uh, with Keith Boykin um, about, you know, mm. white foolishness. Um, and so Lynn says, while you were talking about the events which took place in the U.S. on January 6th, I had a thought that I wanted to share. A woman from the Muslim community on Twitter... Um, They don't remember that person's uh, handle. Um, But that person talked about the fact that although it can be enticing for black and brown people to describe the people who invaded the Capitol as terrorists, it might not be the best, most productive, helpful thing to do, even though it is true. Okay, this is indeed an act of domestic terrorism, but it is first and foremost white supremacy. So Len goes on to say, here is the reasoning behind this. Simply calling these people terrorists will give more justifications to the American government to produce and enforce even more anti-terrorist laws, regulations, tax forces, and allocate uh, an horrend- a horrendous amount of money from taxpayers to this. However, the first victims of these laws will not be white people. They will not be the people who stormed the Capitol. But again, it will be black and brown people in America, but also abroad. In the name of the fight against terrorism, the government will then double down on us. However, by calling them what they are, white motherfucking supremacists, it forces the American government to, first of all, name the threat correctly. Second of all, specifically allocate resources and target them, their groups, clubs, whatever it is that they're they're doing um, in a more productive strategy. By calling them white supremacists, you force the government to fight white supremacy and dare I say, to fight itself. But that's a conversation for another day not just this (laughs) not just this abstract and forever changing concept of terrorism um that's rooted in racism it was an argument that i found really valid i thought i'd share deeply appreciate you both and the podcast can't wait for merch stares at jared okay so this is the second time merch has come up today merch has is now been designed it's it's coming with we will be announcing that very soon not today (laughs) but we have a cool thing coming where it's 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 happening. You guys will be grateful that we waited. Trust me. So and so stop yelling at me about it. No, um, <laughs> I I think that this point is right. Um, and 
but I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. So I, I, I try to make an effort and I don't do it every time, but I always try to include this is a white supremacist domestic terrorist attack, right? Because I, because yes, it is white supremacy and a, a white supremacist event that you can clearly look at the crowd of people out there and see, you know, what they look like. Um, but also I think it's important to, to point out, if I'm not mistaken, domestic terrorism in this country is overwhelmingly by white supremacists. Um, and, and I'd have to pull the data on that to make sure that I, that I could back that up, but I'm almost positive that that is true. Um, but also like, one of the major problems that we have in this country is that we don't have laws about domestic terrorism. So, uh, and, and you'll hear the FBI experts say, like, domestic terrorism is the only thing that the FBI can investigate but not charge you with. And so we need to make sure that our our systems are clear that this is domestic terrorism and it is white supremacy, right? It is it is white supremacists. And both of those things have to go hand in hand. And I think that if we were to only just label it as white supremacy or, or you know, the, the acts of white supremacists, I don't think it would get anywhere because it, you you have a majority white Congress that has to approve that. And like a lot of Republicans and Democrats who are really uncomfortable talking about white supremacy as it is. So I think both of those things have to go together. Yeah, it seems like to me that it is a it is one of those things of like, recognizing the system that is at play and doing what needs to be done in order to 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 get shit done right so like calling it and naming it white supremacy because that's what it is but also noting it as domestic terrorism because uh, a term like terrorism rings differently right in people's ears than it does uh than does uh white supremacy um but i i i did think i read that email and that that idea and i was like that makes a lot of sense. There's so many ways yeah. in which this conversation around domestic terrorism can end up falling back on the black and brown folks. So um, shout out to you, Selene. Thank you for bringing that uh, up to our attention. We're going to get into our dishonorable mean Sean's. This is These are our stories that we highlight um, from people that caught our attention that need a call in, a call out for their foolishness, or maybe they're good. Uh, Jared, would you like to go first? Yeah, so over the weekend, uh, last weekend, we had the Wendy Williams movie and the documentary, and um, I'd gotten to see the movie ahead of time, and, you know, there were some revelations in there, like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, she had um, been sexually assaulted or raped. Uh, I didn't know that she, you know, had all of these miscarriages. I know she's talked about the difficulty that she had with having little Kev, um, and well, who's now grown-ass Kev, um, but... Uh, <laughs> But like there, there was a lot in there that you know we just didn't necessarily know about prior to the film. Um, I, I think one of the challenges of a TV movie is always trying to fit in someone's whole life in two hours. And so, I, as I've kind of been watching more biopics and reading more of people's books, I've started to become more clear that like a biopic is not necessarily a retelling of someone's life; it is a telling of a decided narrative about their lives, right? And so, like, the Wendy Williams movie really focuses on her marriage and her career. Um, and, like, there's literally only one scene where you see a child that is Little Kev, but it is not... They don't even let that child talk, and they say that they're not going to talk about him. Um, but the documentary, I found... Did you see the documentary? Yes. I thought that the documentary was incredibly exploitative, even considering Wendy's full participation. 
Um, I felt like the way that it was shot, I felt like the way that it was edited, I just thought it was kind of gross. Um, and the ways that like they they left they the way that they edited it and left in moments where they didn't need to leave that in and like super tight shots of her face looking, you know, really less than great because she had been crying for so long or she was coughing and different things like and the way that it was lit in certain moments it was just there were so many moments where i was just like this was done in a way that i did not feel was respectful of wendy's story and uh, talking about the documentary specifically um i had a lot of problems with that and i don't think i could watch it again that's interesting because i disagree i i I thought the documentary was necessary as compared to the the scripted movie because, as you mentioned, you know, the Lifetime movies, when you're doing a biopic, truly it should be focused on a segment of a person's life, not the whole of a person's life, right? Because it ends up being choppy Agreed. and it doesn't make sense and all of that. And I think the documentary, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was super raw, uh, I which is, I felt necessary to pull back the curtain on someone like a Wendy Williams who for the most part leading up to to this current brouhaha that she's in mm -hmm, you know I knew that word <laughs> um that a... you know <laughs> I, I'm, um, I'm not even I'm not even approaching that let alone touching it but I thought that, you know, she spent her career talking about people and presenting this buttoned up image of herself. Um, uh, maybe up. not buttoned up. Maybe not buttoned up. But like she's presented herself as someone who who uh, at least doesn't talk about their own shit. Right. Who, who, who doesn't have shit to talk about. And then when she became the story, she was initially very cagey about what she was talking about. Right. There's cl yeah. they have clips in the documentary. Right. Of her taking up for her husband right even in the midst of all of this right and so i i thought it was necessary to see her on the couch it with her lymphedema machine no makeup just looking very raw and you know regular degla schmegla uh but we've spent too much time talking about damn wendy williams i um, i do i do think that more of the story being unpacked in the documentary was important i just think the way that it was shot and edited and offered up to the public i just thought it was it was I thought it was way over the top. So well, Wendy. Well, Wendy was an executive producer on both of them, so she is over the top. Um, one of my honorable mentions. It's it's kind of a continuation of an honorable mention from last week. Um, I told you all to go buy Cicely Tyson's book, and that I would have a review coming out. Uh, we would. I, the review came out on Wednesday. We recorded the show on Tuesday, um, and Thursday when the show came out, I believe, is when. We, as the world, found out that Cicely Tyson had died. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but that shit gutted me, okay? Because she was just yeah. doing interviews with folks last week. I remember um, you texting me saying, like, she was just doing interviews last week. That's crazy. It, yeah. It, it was just so, it was so absurd, but also so kind of serendipitous. Ser serendipitous? That's the word. Serendipitous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it was just it was just interesting. So I just wanted to, you know, give a, a R.I.P. Um, to, to the icon, Cicely Tyson, 96 years of a life well lived. 
Awesome. Okay. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Christopher Strickland, who is the host of a podcast called We Gotta Hang Out. Um, he is someone I've known since middle school or high school. We've known each other for way too long. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever been interviewed by someone who's known me so long. Um, but he has a great podcast called We Got to Hang Out. And uh, I'm on his show. Uh, it came out earlier this week. And it is just kind of a deep dive into my background and, you know, my perspective on the world. And I'm uh, just really excited for him. He's recently taken over this show. So um, I will make sure to have the link in the episode description um, so that you can check out the new episode of We Got to Hang Out. And I'm on it. All right. I want to give an honorable mention to Jamal Jordan and his new book, which is available for pre-order now, um, called Queer Love in Color. Some of you might be, remember um, there was a New York Times spread um, from maybe a year and a half ago, two years at this point, maybe, um, that Jamal Jordan, who's a photojournalist, did for the New York Times, um, in which he basically, you know, photographed these different queer couples of color um, and wrote a, a really endearing essay about you know not really seeing many images of of queer people of color um particularly in relationship with other queer people of color um mm -hmm. and so he's got he's done this whole book on it now um a lot of great photos a lot of stories um from those folks involved and so if you're interested if you're looking for something um a new book uh i believe it comes out later this year but it's definitely available for pre-order check it out queer love in color get it order it from your local black bookstore if you don't have you don't know how to find one google it there's plenty of articles out there and i will tell you you can hit up reparations club if you're in los Angeles or SO1 Books also in Los Angeles um, both of those are black queer friendly um, one of which is queer owned spaces uh, that likely will be carrying it. Shout out to Jamal Jordan he's he's awesome he's really good. Shout out to him um, yes. Uh, and so on this episode where we're talking about black history and uh, our, our dishonorable mentions and, and kind of shouting out different things one of the things that we talked about was the fact that you know black history month only tends to get we, we only tend to celebrate specific black people in a certain time of the year. So we are going to start including at the end of Dishonorable Mentions a special moment in black history, and it is going to last every episode. It's not going to just be in February. Um, and they will be pop culture moments. They will be, you know, impactful moments. There'll be all kinds of different things. Black history is happening every day. This week, we wanted to start off with something that kind of goes back to what you talked about a little bit earlier, um, giving Carter G. Woodson some some love, but also um, it was just incredibly funny. It's a moment with Simone Sanders on CNN with Don Lemon, and uh, they were getting ready to do a story about Amarosa. This was a few years ago, but it comes up every year on Twitter. Take a listen. I want to talk about the former White House aide, Omarosa Manigault, Manigault yeah. New. It's Black History Month. We got to talk about Amarosa. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, look, it is Black oh, History up? Month, okay? Carter G. Woodson did not go to the mat to uh, get Negro History Week that eventually turned into Black History Month for, her to talk, for us to talk about Amarosa on her apology tour and her attempt to salvage her reputation on a reality television show. Not during Black History Month, guys. Mm-mm. 
<laughs> These are the facts. Scott, you gonna back me up? It is one of my very favorite moments. Uh, I, first of all, I have this affinity for moments when news people cannot hold it together, like when they start laughing and cannot pull it together. Anderson Cooper has had one of those moments notably. And Don Lemon is just like falling apart in this moment. And it is just hysterical to watch. So shout out to Simone Sanders for giving us an incredible moment in Black history. Black history is happening every day. Um, uh, if this conversation on black history uh, really piqued your interest and you want more of this, good, good. Check out other episodes that have a related conversation. Something that I think would be great for you to go check out would be episode 10 uh, called The Reason Black People Don't Eat Chicken in Public, featuring Sam Sanders from NPR. Uh, and his show is called It's Been a Minute. It's a really great episode. Um, it does begin talking about chicken, but. It actually is a really interesting <laughs> conversation about Black history and Black folks. So uh, go check out that episode. Yes, do that. And if you are listening on iTunes, okay, go and scroll over. Give us a five-star review. Leave us a comment. Let us know about all this good, good you get. You can tell us, but you know, congratulations on, you know, our full first year. Whatever you feel like, but only five-star reviews. If you have less than a five-star review, just email it to us, okay? Uh, <laughs> and if you have a comment or a suggestion, about this week's show or any other week's show tweet at us instagram us at fantai podcast be sure to use the hashtag hashtag fantai fam and as always if you would like to financially support the good good that we provide you it is black history month go ahead and you know for the white people turn your white guilt into you know a little money for us wow. or for wow. the black people you can turn your black guilt into somebody for us we equal opportunity okay <laughs> we have, is black guilt even a thing do we do that? I don't know. Maybe I should have I should have said, you know, your cis hat guilt. You know, for black cis hat folks, you take your black cis hat guilt and give your money to or black queer people. You you can take your black pride, right? And and sure. open up your wallet, amen. Sure. Um, you can always send us an email or a voice <laughs> note because we love the voice notes to fanti at maximumfun.org. Our music is produced by Corice. You can find him wherever you get your slayworthy audio. That is C-O-R dot E-C-E. Our graphics and brand new photos and all the cool stuff that uh, you are going to be seeing if you haven't seen it already uh, is done by Ashley Wynn and her incredible team. Our producer this week is Jordan Kelly. <laughs> And Laura Swisher. <laughs> that was that was interesting. This is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Wendy and, Williams, honey. Okay. I just, oh no. <laughs> and and there's your promo, Jordan. <laughs>